The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board today is living public record, John Dunn. Answering the phones is DJ Spaceship. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and DJ Spaceship will get you through to us. You can also um, email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's guest made waves for 25 years as the influential head of the First Amendment Foundation in Tallahassee. Now Barbara Peterson is at the helm of the nonprofit that broke the blockbuster story last week about rape allegations against the chairman of the Florida Republican Party. Welcome to Wavemakers, Barbara. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you, Janet. I'm glad to be here. And Barbara is joining us uh, via Zoom today. Thank you for being here. You're in Tallahassee, correct? I am. Where it's nice and chilly. It's sweater weather, thankfully. <laughs> and um, Sean um, closed out his show uh, talking quite a bit about this big headline. But just to recap it really quick, um, the story about the Florida GOP chairman, Christian Ziegler, has gone, as they say, viral. It's been picked up by the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, BBC, and pretty much everyone else in the world. Um, as as we know, Ziegler says he did have sex with his accuser, accuser but says it was consensual. Meanwhile, his wife has a acknowledges that both she and her husband had sex with the victim in a menage a trois over a year ago. The alleged rape occurred when Mrs. Ziegler did not show up for a second threesome. Mrs. Ziegler is a Sarasota school board member, founder of the homophobic, homophobic conservative book banning group Moms for Liberty, and an appointee to the Disney governing board created by DeSantis as punishment for Disney's opposition to the Don't Say Gay Bill. In addition to headlines around the world on the basis of the news itself... The story has also drawn attention to the new nonprofit model of journalism. With this important story coming from a nonprofit news website with a tiny budget. We'll be talking about that later and hopefully we'll have time to get into Barbara's fascinating personal story. But let's first get an update on the story about the ironically named Christian Ziegler. It seems there has been a new revelation almost every day, Barbara, since your team broke that story on November 30th. What's the latest? Just, yeah, just about every day. And uh, the, the public records, I mean, all of our reporting is based on, on information found in public records. Um, the first story we ran when we broke the story, um, we were waiting and had waited for a number of days um, uh, for the police report, the, the incident report. When we got that report, it had been very heavily redacted. Uh, we've pushed back on some of the redactions uh, because we're no, we don't think they were authorized under the law. Uh, and then we were able to get a copy of the 911 tape uh, and then uh, the affidavits from the clerk of court. So we've, we're getting a lot of information. Um, and of course, as you know, as, as journalists, the more you report, uh, the more information people are willing to share with you. Uh, so so we continue to get information um, and and we continue to make public records requests. And uh, 
It's fascinating to me, given the amount of media in Florida and what a, an amazing story this was, that it was your nonprofit that broke this story. How did you do that? <laughs> it's kind of amazing to me, too, to, <laughs> to be frank. Um, uh, we had been hearing rumors, uh, and I think there had been rumors in, in Sarasota and Sarasota County, uh, and so we started making public records requests. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, and as I said, this is reporting's all based on public record. So, uh, you know, public the public records law is probably the biggest tool uh, citizens and reporters have in Florida. Um, an agency can deny your public records request only if they have specific legal authority to do so. Uh, and and so we hear rumors, uh, we get tips, and we start making public records requests. It's as simple as that. And you did, uh, you were the first uh, outlet to um, play the recording of a friend of the victims who was concerned about her well-being, asked the police to do a wellness check, was concerned she might be suicidal and was doing drugs. Um, how did you, why is it that you all were the first ones to get that? You made the request early? When we made the request for the incident report with the Sarasota Police Department, we either simultaneously or very shortly thereafter uh, made a public records request of the sheriff's office uh, for any 911 tape. Um, those 911 tapes, there's information in those tapes that's exempt from disclosure, uh, but we got the 911 tape pretty soon after we received the redacted incident report. So yes, we simply made the re the request simultaneously, and then when we got the 911 tape tape, we made the request of the Sarasota Clerk of Court for the affidavits and the search warrants. Now the um, redacted document you received. What was that document exactly? The redact, well, the, the first document we received was the incident report. When you call the police and, and report, they create an incident report that's got the basics. Um, so we made a request for that document. It was very heavily redacted. Uh, the name of the victim was redacted as is appropriate, and given that she was a potential uh, a victim of sexual assault. Um, but also then Ziegler's name was redacted. Uh, the addresses were redacted. Uh, basically, there were five words in the report that in a five or six page report that weren't redacted. I have to but say, I had never seen such a heavily redacted document yeah. in, 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 in Florida. The feds often will redact something that heavily. But Florida has such a very strong uh, public records uh, law. When I moved here from Virginia more than 40 years ago, I was... I was amazed and pleased as a reporter how much information I was able to get. That kind of report is generally, except for, you know, as you said, identifying information for the victim. Why was so much redacted and what did you end up getting when you requested a less redacted document? We're still working on the less redacted document. What's their justification um, for, for giving you five words? They, they, uh, it's interesting because the two exemptions that they relied on, well, one exemption was the active criminal investigative uh, record exemption. When, when we've got an ongoing criminal investigation, the records are exempt 
uh, so long as that investigation is active. And that's as it should be. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to hamstring or hamper uh, law enforcement in their investigations, except that the incident report itself is not active criminal investigative information because it triggers the investigation. So they, I think they overredacted there. And then they also repl- uh, uh, relied on Marcy's Law, which is uh, a provision in our Constitution that is meant to uh, protect victims and their families from being harassed. And, and sort of coincidentally and interestingly, um, the day we received that redacted incident report relying on Marcy's Law was the day the Florida Supreme Court ruled that Marcy's Law does not protect the names of victims. Um, we still don't know what or why, uh, what they relied on or for uh, redacting Ziegler's name. But we knew it was a, a, an incident report relating to Ziegler because our request was for all records relating to Christian Ziegler. So even though they redacted his name, uh, we knew it was him. Um, so <laughs> it was sort of interesting and weird. Um, and as I said, we're pushing back um, uh, and and to see what, you know, Sarasota Police Department will give us in return because I don't think their redactions, uh, some of their redactions, the majority of their redactions are not authorized by law. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF with Janet and Tom. And our guest today is Barbara Peterson. She is the um, executive director of the Florida Center for Go- Government Accountability. Um, it's an, a nonprofit that um, has a news arm um, and they um, broke this blockbuster story about the um, Florida um, GOP head who um, rape allegations against the Florida GOP head. If you uh, have any questions for Barbara, or you want to comment on the news of the day on this interesting story, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. That's 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. So Barbara, I take it you're you're still working on more. There's there's more to come. I, there have been a lot of calls for um, him to resign. Uh, what what are you guys working on? Can you tell us? You probably are not going to want to, but I'm going <laughs> to. Is there more to come? <laughs> um, there's more to come um, uh, from what I'm told uh, by my staff. And we have made some public records requests, additional public records requests. And so until we get those, um, uh, I can't really say. But, um, you know, the stories that we're seeing, you know, the calls for resignation and that sort of stuff, we're an investigative reporting uh, outlet. So we do the investigative reporting and not sort of the day-to-day reporting. Um, And as I said, it's all based on public records. Most of our reporting, uh, uh, we get a phenomenal number of tips um, from citizens all over the state of Florida uh, and we first try to verify those tips through public record searches um, and then decide whether we need to assign it to a reporter or not. So, and as I said, in this case, it was uh, it was a rumor um, that we decided to run down. So uh, 
if you're listening right now and you heard what Barbara Peterson just said, if you have a, a tip or something that you think um, community activists out there, this seems like something neighborhood activists would you, is it for journalism or is it also for neighborhood activists that you would assist them it's, if they give you a tip? Most, most of the, the um, tips we're getting are from uh, citizens. Citizens. We have a, yes, we have a, in, in uh, uh, Lee and Collier County, uh, we have a, a sort of a pilot program. We have a, a loosely based group of, of uh, citizens, uh, citizens for government accountability, we're calling them. Mm -hmm. um, there's about um, a dozen people who work with us directly. Um, they give us information about what's going on in their community. Uh, they help us, you know, for example, if we have to go to the Lee County uh, a courthouse to pick up some documents. I'm in Tallahassee. Uh, I can't do that. So they'll do that sort of thing for us. And our hope is to be able to organize groups like this in the various geographic regions of Florida, well, because it's the citizens who know what's going on and the citizens who are most affected by what government uh, decides to do. Exactly. You know, and it's talking about how, you know, filling the gap left by all the, the loss of local newspapers, that there was a day when there would be reporters at every city council meeting, every county commission meeting, every or multiple reporters and all these meetings. And the the um, citizens are there every, they are there all the time. The reporters, I think, are, are very um, stretched thin. And there are activists there at every city council meeting, there at every county commission meeting, there at every school board meeting. They know what's going on. They know what's on those agendas. And they're trying to get information, too. So it's an interesting collaboration to sort of harness the power of those citizen journalist activists. Well, and that's what we're trying to do. And so far, we're having great success with this group. Uh, they're they're motivated. Uh, they're interested. And as you say, they're the ones going to the school board meetings and, and, and city commission meetings. Uh, and they're the ones who are contacting us saying, you know, maybe you should look into this. We can't help everybody uh, that calls us. Um, some things are, are more of a, a of a an issue with, uh, you know, a, something that's been denied. A, a governmental program has denied them, and there's not a lot we can do. But we can look into the programs. We can look into the actions of government because the ability of citizens to hold their government and their government officials accountable is critical to a functioning democratic society. Yep. And you can help citizens uh, make their own public records requests. Is that right? That's correct. Um, we assist them with making their public records requests, either um, explaining to them first what they're allowed to have under the public records right. law. Um, and then we can help them draft the requests Sometimes a citizen is um, re reluctant uh, to make a request. Uh, challenging your government is 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 a big deal for most people, uh, and so we will make those requests for them. Even though under Florida law you are allowed to make an anonymous public records request, uh, but we will make the request on behalf of citizens. Um, and then, too, we help them with the follow up. If, you know, they they get a, a an outrageous fee quote, you know, for obtaining the records they want, we help them with that, too. We also do a lot of work with reporters on public records requests. Uh, uh, that is something 
that's unique to most media organizations, I think, uh, in, in, in the country. Um, but we do work with reporters, um, investigative reporters at media outlets all around the country, all, really. we um, About six weeks ago or so, um, uh, there was a segment on 60 Minutes about the migrant flights, the original migrant flights to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, and the reporting was based on public records that uh, we obtained uh, from the governor's office in the EOG. Uh, and in that particular case, we had to litigate uh, because the governor and the EOG were not uh, forthcoming uh, in, in in providing the records we had requested. So we had to litigate. But uh, it was about a year ago the records were released. Great. So let's go. We've got tons of emails and text messages and phone calls. So we've got, um, I'm going to read a couple here. We've got a text message that says, hardly any sunshine or transparency left in Florida laws. It has been slipping away for years and just cratered with Scott and DeSantis. Um we have. I would agree, one hundred percent. Let's see. David Bryant says, "Thank you so much for having Barbara on the show. I'm so glad that Trident broke the story. Trident is the news um, arm of the Center for Government Accountability, um, and says I think that Bridget's group should change its name to Moms for Hypocrisy. Bridget Ziegler is is the." Um, uh, Florida chairman, GOP's wife. And he says, I'm still hoping for a sex scandal to hit um, DeSantis. Mm, maybe. Um, another question that we have says, what is your guest's take on Pete Antonacci's death outside the governor's office? Oh, that's a whole nother. I'm surprised there was no autopsy performed. Doesn't pass the smell test. I'm tired um, of grifters like DeSantis, Bubba, that's Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Um, Barbara, any thoughts on Let, that? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that Peter Antonacci case because I think that's another example of how the governor's office uh, does not respond to public records requests. I think it was the Florida Bulldog that broke that story about how Peter Antonacci died of a heart attack right outside the conference room of the uh, governor's office and uh, lay there dying for more than 20 minutes until somebody noticed. Um, and, and apparently they, this was during a meeting, uh, Barbara, uh, where they were arguing over public records, weren't they? Or, uh, in that particular case, they were arguing about the new um, um, voter uh, election, election police. police. Yeah, right. for, for uh, lack of a better term. Uh, Governor DeSantis had appointed Pete as head of the office uh, that was running uh, and and reviewing election potential election fraud, um, and that's all I know uh, is what I read in the Bulldog. And the Bulldog again did a great story on that, having made public records requests to right. get the information. And that it, it's perplexing. It's a total mystery. How do you? lay in the hallway in the governor's office for 25 minutes with no one seeing you. You know, there's video camera, there's all sorts of things. Um, so it is a total mystery, but it also, uh, there's well, an important point to make here. Um, government is not required under the public records law to provide us with information. They are required to provide us with all non-exempt public records. 
So in that particular case, Dan Christensen and the Bulldog made public records requests uh, to get access to the records about how Pete Antonacci, Antonacci um, died. And the, and and so, you know, we've got all these questions. They're not legally required to answer them, answer us. Now, but they are required to cough up those records, right, Barbara? And they exactly. waited, exactly. I think it was eight months. Exactly. And this is the problem, the big problem, as your, your, one of your, your texters said, you, you know, Rick Scott, when he was governor, wasn't great on open government. He was he was bad. And and I wrongly thought it couldn't get any worse. Um, But he did kind of make it right when when push came to shove, when we're ready to sue him over access to records. He he tried to make it right. He didn't always succeed 100 percent, but he tried. Governor DeSantis and his administration don't even try. And we know um, that there is uh, an unwritten policy in in the DeSantis administration to slow walk public records requests. Um, and I was just talking this morning to a reporter from the Washington Post. The Post uh, sued DeSantis over access uh, to travel, his travel records. They made a public records request for travel records months and months and months ago um, and no response from FDLE. FDLE is the custodian of those records. And so they they sued and, and Judge Angela Dempsey ordered FDLE to release the records um, and then FDLE turned around and claimed the travel records exemption that was passed last year. Um, <laughs> But we're seeing it was this yeah, year it was passed, wasn't it? Just this year uh, that it was passed, last session. Yeah, yeah, last yes. session. Sorry, last session. Things are moving um, fast. And it's, um, it, I've talked to a lot of reporters who have requests with FDLE that they've been waiting for 12 months, 14 months, 16 months. And FDLE says, oh, we don't have the personnel. Well, this is a constitutional right in Florida. We have a constitutional right of access to the records of our government. Let's and in go. my opinion, they should be staffing up. Uh, you know, when I hear from a citizen that they've made a public records request with FDLE and they're told that they are number 496 on the list, FDLE has a problem. But the, the governor's attitude seems to be, go ahead and sue us. That's right. And, but part of the problem is it used to be we had a robust uh, media in Florida, and they would sue. And now there's fewer and fewer, uh, you know, media who can afford to sue. And so I was very surprised that the Washington Post was the one that ended up filing that lawsuit. Were you all involved in that lawsuit as well? No, I found out about it by reading the Washington Post. Um, and but we we are discussing filing an amicus in the appeal that's challenging that travel records exemption. And you're absolutely right, Tom. You know, we don't see legal challenges to to public records uh, 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 issues uh, like we used to. But I would say that my little organization has filed six or seven lawsuits um, against uh, the governor and agencies in his administration, 
Uh, as I said, we filed uh, the lawsuit against uh, DeSantis and the EOG for the migrant flight records. Uh, the trial court uh, uh, ordered the release of those records. We, we received the records. Now the governor has appealed. I don't know why, um, because we have the records. Uh, just uh, about a month ago, we uh, settled a lawsuit uh, with the Florida Department of Health uh, back in uh, August of 2021. Um, uh, the Florida Center uh, and uh, worked with uh, former Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith in filing public records requests against the with the Department of Health to get COVID data. Uh, the department denied our request. That litigation lasted two years. Hmm. Um, but finally, sometime in late September, the Department of Health released the data, 25 gigabytes of data that the department had claimed for two years didn't exist. Uh, but we got those records through litigation. We have lawsuits against uh, New College, um, it, 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 this is the only way we can get records that we have a right to from this administration. If we have to litigate, we will. We're talking to Barbara Peterson, who's the executive director of the um, Florida um, Center for Government Accountability. We have um, someone who texted us and wants to know how best to reach the organization. You can email them at info at FLCGA. Dot org, and their phone number is 850-634-5010. That's 850-634-5010. Um, and we're talking again to Barbara Peterson, who's the executive director of the Florida Center for Government Accountability, and they assist citizens and journalists who are working to ensure government accountability and transparency. We have a couple people on the line right now. Um, start, Steve in Largo has been holding um, quite some time. Steve in Largo, you are on the line. What is on your mind? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having this show, and thanks to Barbara and her colleagues, because it's true what you just said. The watchdog of the so-called liberal media I mean, I don't really want to <clears throat> too much slag the Tampa Bay Times, but I have repeatedly reached out to them with newsworthy tips, including about the DeSantis-Guantanamo war criminal connection, and they just refuse to go deep. But I'm glad we have you. I'm glad we have the bulldog. And I will say that in Florida, the government and some of their allies in corporate and the Republican Party um, stonewalling, zero transparency, sue me if you think you can afford it. Even when you win the lawsuit, I still won't comply, which is also the Trump playbook. It's, it's really breaking my heart. I'll give you a quick example, and then I'll get off of here. Swift Mud, Southwest Florida Water Management District. I've been querying them for two years by email pointing out that it doesn't rain in Florida anymore like a tropical climate, and we're going to end up with population growth outstripping our water supply and creating an ecological and human disaster. I've asked them what calculations and other studies have they done to manage population growth and the number of well permits and development permits and other stuff they give out. They refused to answer. Only when I contacted my local Florida legislature member, Bernie Jocks, 
did they respond to me at all? And even then, their response was generic boilerplate, and they ignored all my specific questions. So now I have to keep fighting them, and maybe, um, you know, the legislative member, uh, Bernie. And so what you're wanting to know is, uh, do they do any consideration of population growth in issuing permits? Is that what your question is? Are they even monitoring? Are they even even thinking about the impact of that? That's um, interesting, an interesting question. They won't Um, won't answer, and the arrogance. So your organization and Florida Bulldog and the one down south, Florida Phoenix, thank God for you because the so-called liberal media is not helping us. Um, Steve, thanks for the call. We really appreciate it. Um, we've got um, Leela and Brandon. Leela, um, you are on the line. What's on your mind? Um, I just want to applaud um, hearing that there is someone like this program that's actually holding the government accountable. And I, like the last um, speaker, I applaud you guys. And as a longtime advocate, advocate for the environment and for doing the right thing in Brandon, I cannot tell you how abused I've been by the county government, the county commission. They treat me like I don't matter. And it's very offensive because I watch them just rubber stamp every developer's request for low-income housing or whatever it might be, whereas the citizens don't have a voice. And they do really treat the citizens of our county horrible. And um, just, you know, personally, I'm exhausted. But I know that someone has to go down there and stand up to them. But you're right. We don't have the reporters. We have some um, very good reporters that, you know, from the St. Pete Times, they did a great article on our Oak Street Park out in Brandon. But it's almost like without, uh, um, you know, major newspapers and money to pay those reporters, you know, the citizens have to go down there and do the dirty work. And it's no fun because you've got um, representatives that are so caught up in their ego that they overlook the obvious, and we're destroying wetlands. We're destroying beautiful sanctuaries for our sandhill cranes. Now they're going to destroy the nest, most likely, because that's the last um, thing in Brandon that was left in a trust. But now they want to put a Mitsubishi dealership on what was to be the entrance to the nest. Um, well, Leela, thanks. So, we really appreciate the call, and thanks for being a, a citizen activist. And um, uh, Barbara, if Leela's out there and she needs help getting public records and she wants to send a tip or has a question, how does she reach the Florida Center for Government Accountability? The best way to get in touch with us is through email. And that's the info at flcga.org. Uh, I, we have a very small staff um, and I'm doing uh, wearing about 75 different hats and have a very hard time keeping up with the phone calls. Um, but an email is is really uh, the best way to go at it. And Lila, I just want you to know that that we're working on a big investigative piece that I'm hoping to publish early next year about the effect of development on Florida's environment. Um, it's a big story. Look forward uh, to that. A lot of pieces. Well, that, it relates um, to the previous caller, too, who was saying, are, are they considering population growth and issuing right. water permits? You know, Right. And Steve made a very good point, I think, or, or something that I would like to reiterate. Government is not required to answer his questions. That, should they answer his questions? Absolutely. But they're not required to. 
So you have to make public records requests. And you have to you make those public records requests very specific so they can't get around not answering them or not responding to them, right? Correct. I mean, you can act, you can make your request as broadly as you want, but but it's best to make it as succinct as possible. Um, and, and, and a follow up. I think the following up is, is critical because they're exactly. going to if, if they're not, they're going to sit on it. They'll, they will right. sit on it if you don't, if you just file your request and forget about it and think they're going to call, especially if they don't want to give it to you, they're not going to call you up. Hey, this is waiting for you. You might want to come get it. You got to right. call them and say, yeah. I put this request in under the law. Yep. You know, if you're not going to provide it. Yeah. So now, there is right. a provision in the law that says they're supposed to time, give, yeah. give it to you in a reasonable amount of time. That's violated every day, routinely throughout the state. Um, we've got it, another... It, it, yeah, I'm yes, sorry. You're, you're right, Tom. And that's one of our big issues. At this point, we have to think it's an intentional delay. Right. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 We're waiting months for a record. I, I There's one reporter I talked to who, you know, waited months, got an, a fee estimate. He paid his fees and it's been months and he still doesn't have the record. Well, what's especially galling for me is we we know now, I mean, um, I'm old enough to having to deal with records that were actually on paper, uh, but mm -hmm. now everything's electronic. It's very easy for them to find it and and then send it to a reporter. It can be done within minutes. And I remember asking Greg Thomas, the great uh, First Amendment lawyer in Tampa. Uh, but what does that mean? What's a reasonable time? How long does it take for you to reach down into the file and hand it to me? That 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 is really what it should be, but it's not. That's what it should be. You're exactly right, and that's not the way it's been for a very long time. Now, and I would like to say that most of the local government agencies I work with are quick. I, I can't remember the last time I was asked to pay a fee when I made a request from a local government. Um, that's in direct contrast to the the responses we get from state government. Especially the F, this FDLE issue is particularly galling to me because the governor's office seems to think they are in charge of FDLE. FDLE right. reports to the cabinet, and yet right. we have a recent story about the FDLE's deputy chief of staff being fired after uh, uh, filing for whistleblower status. Uh, all over public records. The, I don't know who was right. asking for the public records, but you know, that, and, 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 and now the attorney there, it, it turns out, wanted to release the records and the governor's office said no. Exactly, um, that story, from what I understand, they were arguing about the Washington Post's public records request. Mm. Um, and uh, senior staff and the attorney were saying, uh, we wrote that exemption. You have to turn the records over, at least some of them, not all of them. Uh, and the governor's office intervened. Uh, uh, senior staff was fired. And as reported, the the attorney was denied a, a promotion and a raise. Um, we've got a, I want to uh, go to the phones and the, the email because we're getting a lot of calls. We get a lot of calls. Um, one person says Steve should be talking to Tampa Bay Water, not Swift Mud, not their role. Rainfall has been normal. We're in a temporary drought. So that's just a, a response to that. Um, another person says, are Democrats any better? How is Christ? Um, he was a Democrat. How is Biden? Do they does he stall? How about Gavin Newsom? So what do you think, Barbara? You've been, you've been doing this a long time. Is this a, a bar bipartisan um, 
issue in terms of public records? And in fact, you served uh, as the president of the First Amendment Foundation while there were six different governors, all different uh, uh, political yeah. stripes. So, so it's, a, it's a fair question. Yeah. What's your answer? Very fair question. Uh, and, and I will point out, too, as a nonprofit uh, news outlet, we are very careful to remain nonpartisan. And open government issues are not generally partisan issues. You know, we right. have the same bad bills supported by a Democrat and a Republican or vice versa. Right. Great bills. When when uh, Judge, uh, uh, Judge um, I'm forgetting his name, John Carasas, Republican, when he was a member of the Florida House, he got a joint resolution through that made it ostensibly a tried to make it harder for the legislature to create new exemptions. Right. And when Charlie Crist was first governor, he was a Republican. And before that, he was the Republican attorney general. And he was probably the best. We called him Governor Sunshine um, because he was so proactive. Interesting. He had Pat Gleason as his public records uh, expert. Well, and so did, so did Bob Butterworth. Uh -huh. Pat stayed on under Rick Scott. She was fantastic. Uh, Yes. And but with Charlie, the very first thing Charlie did, his very first act as governor, he issued an executive order creating the Office of Open Government to assist citizens and reporters with their public records requests. Huh. He was no a Republican at that governor. point. He was a Republican. He was a Republican at that yeah. point. And then he later created he a progressive Republican. open government reform. And I, I was chair of that commission, and the idea was that we were to take testimony from citizens and reporters all over the state of Florida and make recommendations for reforming pub Florida's open government laws. We did a great job. We issued a great report. We had great recommendations. And just then Charlie left the Republican Party, and it, it was all just ignored. All of our work was ignored. But I would like to say, you know, I was, as Tom noted, I was president of the First Amendment Foundation for 25 years. Uh, the current um, executive director, Bobby Block, uh, called me last week and the First Amendment Foundation wants to try to get some reform legislation passed in or at least introduced in this next session it will take a while to get it passed i'm afraid um so we will be working with bobby on on and the first amendment foundation in drafting some reform legislation uh, we're talking to barbara peterson peterson executive executive director of the center for government accountability um we have a, an email from david bryant this is second bite of the apple david this is a good one um one thing that irritates me about desantis's stonewalling on public records is that we the taxpayers have to pay to defend the state of florida for these unnecessary lawsuits it's ridiculous the fdle story shows us what the inside of a dictator's office looks like desantis is the ultimate fascist um barbara what do, what do you think about that that we're i mean that's the taxpayers are paying that there are two huge frustrations for me and david highlights one of them when government violates the public records law we have to sue them so we sue them and if we win government is required to pay our attorney's fees and court costs in our department of health case that totaled one hundred and fifty-two thousand dollars 
And that's just one side, right? There was the the, the bills from the governor's attorneys. Um, huh. So oh. when government violates our rights, we have to pay government in defending. We pay to defend our government right. when they violate our rights. That <laughs> infuriates me. And the second is the point that Leela made about how too many people, too many citizens are treated so badly by those people they have elected to represent their interests. People who are elected to office are public servants. They work for us and they should give us the respect they would of any employer. Because those are our records, not theirs. That's what they seem to forget. Um, I did want to bring up the issue of the Florida Attorney General because you mentioned Bob Butterworth. He was a very strong advocate for public records. Uh, Same thing when Charlie Crist was the Attorney General. Um, I don't feel the same way about Ashley Moody. She seems to be completely in the camp of, of, of DeSantis and trying to help him keep records out of the public eye. Is that, would I, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, I was really dismayed to see that Ashley Moody is supporting Governor DeSantis's assertion of executive privilege. Um, Explain and, that, if you would, because that's a that that has tremendous implications if that is upheld by the Florida Supreme Court. Exactly, it, it is a death knell. It means um, that that he could keep records secret. Just because he can keep all sort of, he, he yeah. can decide who we depose. He can he can decide, you know, I think it's in my best interest that you not see these records. And this is what's interesting in Florida. We have, as I said, a constitutional right of access to the records of our government. That constitutional provision, it's Article One, Section 24 in the Florida Constitution, includes a standard for the creation of new exemptions. And it says very explicitly, only the legislature can create exemptions to the public records law. So Governor DeSantis can't just assume or assert executive privilege. If he is going to deny access to a public record, he must have specific statutory authority that allows him to deny that request. And I have to say, I was shocked when uh, the judge in a public records lawsuit agreed with DeSantis's attorneys that DeSantis has an executive privilege. It's nowhere in the law. It's not in the Constitution, and it's not in statute. I was surprised by the Florida Supreme Court ruling last week that you mentioned regarding Marcy's law because the interpretation of many law enforcement agencies around the state was that they could keep the names of police officers who had shot someone to death in the line of duty, a secret. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. And they took another step, as you mentioned, that the names of victims can be released. Right. And police agencies all over the place. Uh, The the Tampa Bay Times, who sponsors the show, um, has had to go through backflips in in murder investigations because the police department would not release the name of a murder victim. We had a sh- mass shooting in Ybor City. They wouldn't tell us who, they wouldn't tell the Times or anybody else what names were. They had to get it through the family, and they continued to do the same thing. My question for you, though, is was the Attorney General's office on the public side regarding Marcy Law's interpretation 
or the side of the governor's office or the police agencies and trying to keep everything secret? I don't know the answer to that question, Tom. Um, I, I really applaud the Supreme Court for its decision. It was a, a really good decision based in part on that constitutional right of access. Um, you know, we've had ever since that law uh, was it became law in in January 2017, I think, maybe 2018. The voters amended the Constitution. It, right. So. Right. we immediately started having problems with it and not just law enforcement claiming that law enforcement officers um, uh, were victims of a crime while they're on duty. And even those officers who used lethal force and they were withholding the names, uh, they were holding withholding government was withholding names of people involved in a car crash Um, How is that a victim of a crime? And I guess my point, Barbara, is that the attorney general did not step in and say, wait a minute, that is not what the Constitution, the the amendment says. She did not take a proactive stand. She allowed this to happen. And uh, news news organizations around the state were having to deal with the results. Back in the day, you would have called, you know, the attorney general's office and they, they would have issued some sort of they, the law enforcement would have asked the attorney general's office. How do we interpret this? Correct. And that's one of the problems, too, that that might not be quite as obvious. The attorney general will provide any elected official or any governmental entity an opinion about how the law is to be interpreted and applied. Under Rick Scott agencies stopped requesting attorney general opinions. And if you go back in the, on the attorney general's website, myfloridalegal.com, there is a database of all of the uh, opinions that have been released historically up to today. And if you go in and look and you see the number of opinions that were issued during previous administrations, administrations prior to Governor Rick Scott, and then compare that to the number of opinions asked for under Scott and now DeSantis, you'll be amazed. Even though They're the attorney general for the opinions, the attorney general is an independent elected official who can do what she, he or she wants. Cabinet, Correct. Right. Right. Yep. Right. But yep. the attorney general is not allowed to provide me a citizen or you a citizen with an opinion. Um, they can only give government that opinion. And so there is no one that is there to help the citizen. You know, when when Charlie Crist was governor, as I said, he created the Office of Open Government. He had two employees there, uh, interns. They really did a great job. And then when Rick Scott took office, he kept the program going, understaffed it. They were less proactive in helping citizens. And now under Governor DeSantis, uh, I think that that the office, we're now calling it the office of obstructive government, right? (laughs) Uh, Because they have created a bottleneck for public records. The good news is that we now have the Center for Government Accountability. Yeah, uh, let's go. I want to 
we have an email from Gary Gibbons, um, a, a very huge supporter of WMNF. Um, and he says, and a lawyer. thanks to Barbara Peterson and her team for this critical work. I just made a donation to her organization and encourage others to do the same. So um, that's a great segue to talk about the history of the Center for Government Accountability, how this organization came about. It is a nonprofit. I'm assuming you get a lot of donations. You have an interesting board and advisory uh, team. In fact, Gilbert King, the author of Devil in the Grove, is one of your board members. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So- uh, and and this is something I think you know, Gilbert understands, uh, and and most reporters understand. Uh, and but Gilbert couldn't do his work, his historical reporting, without public records. Um. So he understands the importance of access to government information and public records, which is, I think, one reason he agreed to join our board. Um, We're actually a really new organization. Um, I had retired from the First Amendment Foundation uh, just as COVID hit. This Um, is your idea of retirement, Barbara. (laughs) It is, actually, it is. Um, It's a very rewarding job. Um, I've done, as you know, you know, I'm sort of a one-trick pony. I've done nothing but open government laws for 30, 35 years now. Um, But I left FAF with the idea that I would be a consultant. And then the pandemic hit. And um, even though I had left FAF, reporters and editors and citizens I had known for years and worked with for years continued to call me. And I got a a call one time uh, from a newspaper editor who wanted to confirm Um, what he thought was the most egregious violation of the Sunshine Law um, he had ever heard of. And it was a case down in Sebastian uh, where the city council, this was during COVID, um, the city council, there were five members of the city council. uh, They had scheduled a meeting and then closed it uh, or canceled it, I'm sorry, um, because of COVID and the, the concerns about, you know, social distancing and that sort of thing. Well, three of the council members went forward with the meeting. City Hall was locked. These three council members went into chambers and held a meeting. Uh, they never turned on the lights. The meeting lasted nine minutes. And in the space of that nine minutes, they fired the city manager, they fired the city attorney, and they restructured city council. And at the end, and they recorded themselves. Um, At the (laughs) end of the recording, you hear somebody say, quick, quick, the cops are coming. And everything goes dark. The most egregious violation of sunshine I'd ever seen. And so I um, contacted one of my counterparts, uh, a man I had known for years in my open government work, Michael Barfield, who is now the Public Access Initiatives Director for FLCGA, thankfully. Uh, And he and I, as citizens, filed a lawsuit in civil court alleging a violation of Sunshine Law uh, in Sebastian, which we're allowed to do. And... The the local prosecutor looked into it and he filed criminal charges against the three council members, one of whom, you know, just said immediately, "Okay, I did it, uh, you know, and the other two were 
charged and convicted with intentional violations of sunshine and also perjury um, and removed from office. And that's the power of our law. Um, you don't have to be a lawyer to do this. Now, it helps if you know a lawyer. And by the um, way, we didn't mention this, but you are a lawyer. I am a lawyer, yes. Um, I've been in a courtroom exactly once. Uh, I'm not a litigator. I'm an advocate. Um, uh, and thankfully, Michael is a paralegal, so he has a lot more litigation experience. And we have a, a group of attorneys who believe so strongly in in open government and its importance that they take on these big cases for us um knowing that if they lose they won't get their attorney's fees we can't afford to pay them uh we pay out of pocket costs but even those can be outrageous i, I think in the department of health case it was over six thousand dollars in in out-of-pocket costs um but there is one thing. We do have these great volunteer lawyers who, who work with us. Um, but there's an organization called the National Freedom of Information Coalition. It's based in, in, in Virginia. Um, and they will provide you with litigation grants. Um, so if you want to sue, open, you know, under Florida's open government laws, you can go to the NFOAC and and apply for a grant. Uh, NFOIC covers out-of-pocket costs, but they do work with the Society of Professional Journalists, which provides grants towards attorneys' fees. Now we've only got a couple minutes left. Uh, one thing that you have uh, uh, that you did not have at the First Amendment Foundation was the ability to publish your own news stories through the Trident. What, what what made you decide to do that? Um, I think the same frustration that Steve was mentioning, you know, I would, when I worked at, at FAF, I talked to citizens, you know, six hours out of the day, and we'd have these great stories. And I would take it to, you know, whether it was the St. Pete or the Tampa Bay Times, the Miami Herald, Tallahassee Democrat, uh, and it's, they just didn't have the time. But you only have one reporter, right? Or do you have more reporters? I have an editor, one editor. Bob uh, Norman. And we do rely on freelancers. Um, so, yeah, we are really small. There's only three of us. And so let's... Uh, and, go ahead, Jim. I want to make sure that we... Um, repeat how people can get in touch with you because we are uh, only have about Just a minute about left. Yep. So, yeah, it's info at... FLCGA.org. And then also the website. How do they find your website? FLCGA.org. And then there's a link on our homepage to the Florida Trident. And we will soon uh, have an independent website for the Florida Trident. As I said, we're new. We're three years old. So we're still sort of growing. Um, and hopefully we'll continue to grow. And you allow uh, other news organizations to uh, publish your stories as long as they give you credit Correct. Right? to try to right. spread the we word. We work under a Creative Commons license, so anybody can pick up and publish our work. Okay, sounds great. Um, it, it, you could do what Gary Gibbons uh, did, which is to go to flgca.org and donate, because I was looking at your 990s. They're totally in transparent. They have their all of their financial information posted to the website. But we have to wrap up here. I'm sorry. Yep. Up next is American Radio, um, followed um, by great music with Harrison Nash. This is WMNF Tampa. Thanks, Barbara, for all you do. Thank you for having me.